You have to move the podium. Mm-hmm. Howdy, folks. <laughs> How you all doing? <laughs> we just came back from a trip to North Carolina, and we visited the Billy Graham uh, Conference Center, the Cove. And uh, we were there for a whole week in this town of Asheville. And so just hearing the southern dialect was so pleasant. And uh, I wish I could speak that way. <laughs> it's good to be with all of you. We've been, my wife and I have been coming to this church about seven, eight years. We got to know many of you. And, but this is my first time to be up here. I didn't even know the way up here. <laughs> and so I had to come early, and, and I thought there were steps here, but instead there's a platform coming, uh, uh, slope <laughs> coming up there. It's a privilege to be here to share the Word of God with you on this Missions Sunday. Before I go into the sermon, I want to thank the Glenkirk Mission Team and the session for adding Ethnos Asia onto the list of organizations that uh, Glenkirk supports. And I'm a part of the Ethnos Asia organization. I'm one of the officers in the, on the U.S. board. And also, I travel under the sponsorship of Ethnos Asia about three or four times a year to teach in the Bible schools and uh, seminars in Southeast Asia. And probably most of you have never heard of Ethnos Asia, or it's new to you. And so I want to just briefly summarize what we do. Uh, Ethnos Asia works with the restricted churches in South, South and Southeast Asia. And we go from, from China down to Thailand, and all the way westward, all the way through India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. So we cover 12 countries, and uh, we have workers uh, in these countries. And what we do is... We have seminars for church leaders, uh, training and discipleship, church planting. We have uh, uh, seminars for the women, because you're probably aware that in Asia, many of the women are oppressed and treated as second class. And so we present seminars to empower the women that they can use their gifts for the Lord and exercise them through the church. And then we also sponsor regional youth camps where many churches will come together well, we also sponsor uh, regional prayer conferences for churches to come together for prayer and for unity. Because sometimes the churches, maybe a little bit of a conflict among them, we bring them together to pray together, and that helps to break spirit of unity. We also publish and distribute Bibles. Uh, many of these are the communist-controlled countries where you, we have to smuggle Bibles into the country. And then sometimes pastors are put into prison. So then our ministry might try to help the families. Or sometimes families are, in Laos especially, Christian families are forced, are evicted from their village. Can you imagine? This is your ancestral village, your farmland. Your father, grandfather, great-grandfather have farmed here for hundreds of years. And now you're kicked out and you have no place to go. And that's what's happening in Laos among Christian families. And so our organization tries to help these families. So these are some of the many things that we do. We have a brochure uh, out on the table there. Oh, we have many other organizations, too, that Glenkirk is supporting. And please see all, try to make time to visit all of them. We have one table, and we have a brochure that describes our ministry. And please uh, help yourself to one of these brochures. Now, uh, our scripture reading today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Be joyful. Always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless this reading from his word. Today is Mission Sunday, and I'm going to talk about prayer. Because prayer is, of course, directly related to missions. Prayer is what keeps us alive. Prayer is the, the breathing, the breath of the Christian. And yet we find there are many Christians who are very weak in prayer or don't pray much or hardly pray at all. And why is that? And I think it's because of a misconception, misunderstanding of what our salvation is. It's common among some Christians to think what we call the sin management model. Sin management model of being a Christian. And that means you become a Christian to manage your sin. Christ died for my sins. He's on the cross. I trust in him. My sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. It's like in the Monopoly game, you get the get-out-of-jail-free card. And then when you happen to get thrown in jail, you play the card and you get out of jail. And so some people think salvation is like that. When you uh, come to the gate of heaven, you take out your get-out-of-jail-free card, they say, okay, you get in. And that's what we call the sin management model of salvation. And that's a portion of what it is to be a Christian but only a small part of it. And so, but there are people who see that as the whole thing, and they're happy with that. And so this morning, I want to look at what the Bible uh, tells us about what our salvation is, kind of the big picture, and then how do we maintain and nurture this salvation. <clears throat> when we think of our salvation, uh, it's, it's not the sin management model. It's an ongoing interactive relationship with God or with Jesus. Ongoing, interactive relationship. And the Bible has various metaphors that describes this kind of relationship. And I'm going to touch on some of these very briefly. One is citizenship. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's kingdom. We were formerly citizens of Satan's kingdom, but through the blood of Christ, we, Satan has been defeated, and now we've become citizens of God's kingdom. There's a change in citizenship. And then we're told in 1 Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we are now citizens of God's kingdom, so that we might declare his praises. So notice here, it's an ongoing, interactive relationship. We declare his praises into the present and wherever we are. And that's a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Another metaphor. The scriptures talk about we are friends of Jesus. Jesus said, you are my friends if you obey my commands. And then he says in John 15, I no longer call you servants and said, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Notice here, friends confide in each other. Jesus makes known to us everything that he knows from the Father. He confides in us. Friends confide in each other. Friends have a close relationship with each other. 
So again, it's an ongoing, interactive relationship that we have. And then we find another metaphor. Jesus lives within us. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, do, you, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The Holy Spirit lives within us. It's a living relationship where he lives within us. And how important is this? Uh, I want to tell you about one person, how important this is to him. This is uh, David Wilkerson, the writer of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. This was made, this was a book, was a bestseller. It was translated into many languages throughout the world. A movie was made of it. And this is David Wilkerson was a small-time pastor in Pennsylvania. Only a skinny guy. He only weighed 120 pounds, just a beanpole. And the Lord calls him to go into New York City, into the roughest areas. And even the police warned him, don't go in there. You're not going to come out alive. But out of obedience to the Lord, he went. And the Lord used him, opened many doors, and gang leaders, and dope addicts, and dope peddlers, and many of them came to know the Lord. And one famous uh, gang leader named David, uh, Nicky Cruz, went on to establish his own ministry even. And then also David Wilkerson established what is called uh, Teen Challenge Centers in the major cities throughout the world, where they were doing a rehabilitation program for drug addicts. And they were very successful, much more than any kind of government program. This Teen Challenge was better than what they were, the government was doing. And then teen, uh, David Wilkerson was asked, what's the, what's the secret? How come God is able to use you in such a powerful way? He says, first of all, he tithes his prayer time. He tithes his prayer time. In other words, he gave one-tenth of the day to prayer. That's two and a half hours a day, morning, afternoon, evening. Uh, so he was devoted to prayer. And then he said, I don't want a visitation from the Lord. I want a habitation. I don't want a visitation from the Lord. I want a habitation. In other words, I don't want the Lord to visit me. I want him to live within me. And this is, the scripture says, he lives within us. And there's an old hymn, probably most of you know, uh, that helps describe this, the, the hymn, He Lives. Uh, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his uh, <laughs> loving care. I hear his voice of care. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. He, he li Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives, and I'll tell you, he lives within my heart. This is a picture of an ongoing, interactive relationship that we have with Jesus. And then another metaphor in the scriptures that tell us about our relationship. This is the one of sons and daughters. That we are told that we are part of the family of God, Ephesians chapter 2, Romans 8. That we are those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. That we are we we receive the spirit of sonship. Uh, we are God's children. We are co-heirs with Christ. So, in other words, we are adopted into God's family, and we have all the rights of the, and equal rights, even with Jesus, because we are co-heirs with Him. We share in His inheritance. We share in His glory. I want to tell you about uh, a couple that adopted children. A pastor in Myanmar 
It's a country that's to, just to the west of China. They share a border on the western border of China. And they used, it used to be called Burma. And uh, he's one of our workers, and he lives in the city, but he travels out to the villages, ministering to pastors, encouraging them, and so forth. And he said that the people in Myanmar are very poor, that maybe 10 to 20% of them are in extreme poverty. And he said what they live on is they, they eat rice with fish sauce, and that's their whole meal. And 10 to 20% of the people are like that, he said. And he said when he travels and he meets the families, one time he met a family with five children. They had a newborn that's only a few months old, and they were having a difficult time feeding their children. And they asked the pastor if he would take their little baby girl, only a few months old, and adopt her and take her as their own. And they trusted the pastor because they know that he's not going to traffic her or anything like that or sell her. And so they asked the pastor, and that pastor held that baby in his arms. He couldn't say no, and he took the baby home without asking his wife. <laughs> and so he comes home, and of course the wife is surprised, but of course she's a, a mature Christian woman. She takes the wife and the baby in and says, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, and they treat the baby as their, as their own. And then a couple years later, he does the same thing again. And he comes home with another baby. And of course the wife loves the baby, and they, they raise her as their own. But then she said, don't bring any more. <laughs> so he had two girls, and they adopted two girls, so they had four. And today, these are all grown young women, and the adopted ones are treated just as well as the natural born. And this is the picture in heaven. We are treated just like Jesus in heaven. We share, we are co-heirs with him. We share in his inheritance. And this is the relationship. It's an ongoing interactive relationship we have because now we're adopted into God's family. And then there's a, I want to give you another picture of our uh, relationship in the family. We know that the parents care for the children. We're told in the scripture that as a mother cares, comforts her child, so the Lord comforts us. The way the parents care for their children is the way God cares for us. And I want to tell you about a mother and how she cared for her family. This is a mother in Laos. Laos is a communist-controlled country. Very, very strict. I think that in all the countries of the world, the strictest and the worst place to be a Christian is in North Korea. And then I think, in my opinion, number two would be Laos. Very strict there. That's where the Christian families are being evicted from their villages. And so this woman in Laos, Christian woman, she had no Bible. And she prayed for a Bible. She prayed for two years for a Bible. And our organization, Ethnos Asia, managed to smuggle some Bibles that got to her village. She was so happy. But what was surprising was she couldn't read. What good is a Bible if you can't read? But she was so happy with it. She took it home. She had her children read it to her. She had her grandchildren read it to her. And then she would ask them questions. What did Jesus mean by this? Why did Jesus say that? Why do you think this happened here? And so in other words, she's having a Bible study with her children and grandchildren. And in time, the whole family was saved, even though she couldn't read. But she prayed two years for that Bible. And so she cared for her family so much, she prayed two years so that they can be saved. And that's a picture, again, of God caring for us. God cares for us the way the parents care for the children. So this is the relationship we have with Jesus, an ongoing, interactive relationship. And then one more metaphor. 
This is the, the one of uh, marriage. We're told in Revelation that the, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb and that uh, one day we'll be a, 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 <clears throat> there'll, there'll be a great wedding banquet. Uh, we are married to Jesus. And of course, we know that in a marriage, for a marriage to work, there has to be healthy communication. Uh, there's the book Communication Key to Your Marriage by Norman Wright. Uh, he's a professor at uh, uh, Biola. And so unless you're talking to each other, the marriage does not work. And so again, this is the picture of the ongoing interactive relationship we have with the Lord. So I've gone through many metaphors describing the ongoing interactive relationship. And so now I want to mention, how do we maintain this? How do we keep it going? And of course, this is our scripture today, unceasing prayer. Pray continually. What does this mean? We know it's not in literal, just praying all the time, but it's maintaining a spirit of prayer, having an attitude of prayer. <clears throat> we, uh, we think of like the ocean waves. The waves come crashing onto the shore, and then there's peace and quiet as the water rolls back. And then another wave crashes to the shore. And then quiet. So that can be a picture of having a spirit of prayer. For instance, a family from Iowa, they came to California for the first time. And they had a five-year-old daughter. She's seeing the ocean waves for the first time. And she watched the waves come in and roll back, come in and roll back. And she was so fascinated, she asked her father, Daddy, do they ever stop? And the father said, no, they don't. That when there's a storm at sea, the huge waves will come crashing onto the shore. And then when the sea is calm, they'll gently come up and kiss the shore. But they don't stop. Uh, that can be a picture of a continual life of prayer. And another picture of it is uh, there's a book written by a, a, a monk in the 1600s named Brother Lawrence. The name of the book is called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's only a 70-page book, and so you might want to go to Amazon and order it. I would encourage you to do it. Brother Lawrence is the writer, The Practice of the Presence of God. He's just an ordinary monk working in the, as a laborer in the monastery, as a cook, cleaning up, sweeping the floor. But he learned the practice of the presence of God, and he, and he wrote and described uh, what he does. He says that he sees God in every activity that he does, no matter what he's doing. And he feels the intimate presence of God there. And now in the monastery, they had what is the prayer times, designated prayer times. Uh, like maybe every day from one to three, everybody in the monastery prays. Uh, but he said that while he's washing dishes, he could feel the intimate presence of the Lord there just as much as during his set prayer times. And so he learned to develop that habit. It's something that he learned to do. And he's encouraging, in his book, he's encouraging others to develop that habit. And he mentions his motivation for doing it. And his motivation is that God desires his presence. God has a longing for our presence. And so that's why it's so easy for him to go into the presence of the Lord. And then he also mentions that his love for God drives him and moves him and wants him to spend time in God's presence, that his love for the Lord. And so that he said that when there's a scrap of paper on the floor, out of his love for the Lord, he joyfully picks it up. And he says, Lord, I love you. Thank you, Lord. I can express my love to you and, and throws it. So everything he does, he does out of love so that it becomes easy for him. And he was there for 15 years. And he said that 15 years was just a joyful, 
easy time because he was doing everything out of love for the Lord. And the Lord was always present in everything that he did. So he developed that habit. And he encourages readers to develop it. He says it takes time. That in the beginning you try and then you forget, but you keep working at it, keep working at it. And in time, you can develop that habit of practicing the presence of God. And he suggests when you start any activity, pray. While you're doing it, pray. And afterwards, you pray. For instance, one time uh, I have three vertical lawn sprinklers in my backyard. And at the base there, there's a puddle of water. I said, oh boy, I have a problem. There's a leak. So I said, Lord, help me to find this leak. So I dig and dig, and I have to dig a foot into the ground to find the, the main water supply where the vertical pipes connect. And finally, I saw a crack there. And so I had to take this man the whole thing. And I said, Lord, help me to know what to do. I, I've never done this before. Help me to know how to prepare, prepare this. And then I glue all the pieces together, and I wait for the glue to dry. And then I turn on the water, and I said, Lord, no leaks, please. <laughs> and then I turned it on, and no leaks. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then now I have to reconnect the electrical wires. There's three valves, two wires, and each of the six, six wires I have to connect. They have to be sure that the right ones, I connect them all. And then I turn on the system, and the sprinklers go on. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So in other words, before you start a project, pray. While you're doing it, pray. And afterwards, pray. Make prayer a regular practice in your life, practicing the presence of God, and that we need to be consistent in this. And it takes time to develop this habit, but in time, you will. And then, uh, as I thought about this, I realized also that uh, there's, there's, a, there's a dialogue not only you just talk to the Lord, practicing the principle, but he talks to you. God speaks to you in that process. So uh, practicing the presence of God or unceasing prayer is a dialogue, talking to the Lord. And there's a, a song, I think probably some of you know it, the, an old song called In the Garden. And it's uh, one of my wife's favorite songs. And I like some of the words in the song. It says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And here it says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. Prayer is a dialogue. We talk to God, he talks to us. He speaks back to us. And so that while we're speaking to him, we need to be tuned to his voice and we need to listen and hear him. And so after reading the book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, I've, I've been working at developing this habit myself. And so now, like my wife and I will walk in the neighborhood, and I'll say, Lord, help us to be a light in this neighborhood. Or we come in front of a person's house, we know they're going through a problem, so we'll pray for that person while we walk by them. And then when I'm driving, I'll say, Lord, help me be alert and careful when I drive. Or... We're going to the doctor's office. And I said, thank you, Lord, that we have medical care that's conveniently located to our house. Thank you, Lord, we have medical insurance to pay for it. And then while I'm washing dishes, sometimes the Lord brings a person's name to mind. So then I pray for that person. Lord, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what their problem is. But Lord, you know, 
help the Lord in whatever it is. And then maybe I need to give them a call and find out how they're doing too. The Lord is speaking to me while I'm doing this. And then those of you on your job, huh? Lord, how can I be a light for you on the job today? Or Lord, help me to do my job well, not to please the boss, but to please you. And now, uh, last Wednesday, October 12th, was my birthday. I turned 84 years old. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I said, thank you, Lord, for 84 years of blessing, rich blessing. And someone once asked me, if you had a chance to live your life over again, what would you do? What changes would you make? And for me, the obvious one would be I would pray more. I would learn more to practice the presence of God in my daily life. And that's our relationship to Jesus is an ongoing, interactive relationship with him. And the more time we spend in prayer with him, the more we'll be able to catch his vision. For instance, before we were married, I knew nothing about opera. I didn't even know what an aria is. That, that's those, those songs in the opera, they call them arias. I didn't know that. And, but after we're married, my, my wife enjoys opera. So I've come to enjoy opera after marriage. Another item, uh, I had never eaten Japanese food before. After I married, my wife loves Japanese food. So I learned to like Japanese food. Same for flowers. Before I married, I knew nothing about flowers. My, love, <laughs> my wife loves flowers. And so I've come to like flowers, and I've planted a lot of flowers. She would instruct me, plant this, plant this, and how far apart they are. And so I learned from her, I learned to love flowers. So in other words, when you love someone, you come to love what they love. And so when you practice the presence of God, you come to love what he loves. And when God, Jesus looked on the crowds, with, he had compassion for them. So when we spend time practicing the presence of God, we will begin to have compassion for people. And Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more workers to his harvest. And so we see God's vision for the world, to make disciples of the world. So when we practice the presence of God, we begin to see more and more God's vision for the world. And then we become more involved. So the key is practicing the presence of God. That's the foundation for everything else in your life. Okay, I want to conclude by just reading the words of a song. This song is called, Speak, Lord, in the Stillness. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while I wait on thee. Hush my heart to listen in expectancy. Speak, O blessed Master, in this quiet hour. Let me see thy face, Lord. Feel thy touch of power. For the words thou speakest, they are life indeed. Blissful living bread from heaven, now my spirit feed. All to thee is yielded, I am not my own. Blissful, glad surrender, I am thine alone. Speak, thy servant heareth, be not silent, Lord. Waits my soul upon thee for the quickening word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this very special, intimate relationship that we can have with you. You love us so much. And you long for us to come into your presence. And we are always welcome when we come into your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love. You love us just as we are in spite of all our imperfections and sin. And thank you, Lord, we have this open avenue to come into your presence. Teach us more, Lord, what it means to pray, to practice the presence of God, to come into your presence, to enjoy your presence. Help us to learn this. Help us to develop a deep, 
intimate relationship with you. And this is our earnest desire, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.